Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. They have told me I'm not welcome in their lives at all, and they never want to hear from me again. I'm not welcome to come to any family gatherings, any weddings. If I do show up, they would seek seek their security on me and call the cops. Like, is that love? Is that the Jehovah's Witness love that they think that they represent? And I wrote, like, a goodbye letter to everyone in my family and burned it. And I feel like that was like a big letting go moment. But of course, like I'm emotional now, but that was really special. And um, after that, I felt a lot lighter, a lot lighter. Yeah. But the practice of shunning is um, evil. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. As always, if you're only listening and you want to see our faces, you can go to our YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness, where you can join in on the conversation. All the youtube things like subscribe, it really helps the algorithm. And it's just amazing to see how many people are coming forward and becoming advocates for these people who are bravely coming on and telling their stories. Remember, They always read the comments, so leaving those words of encouragement really means a lot to our guests. So today's guest, he reached out to me. Uh, We've been wanting to do this for a while. It finally made sense. He is ex-Jehovah's Witness, and we haven't done Jehovah's Witnesses in a little bit, so I'm excited to jump back into that one. I know that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism is like pretty close. I feel like we're like brother-sister religions in a way. (laughs) There's so many similarities. And so it's always fun to talk to people who have been in Jehovah's Witnesses because I can so deeply relate. So with his story, he felt the cognitive dissonance mostly in his teen years. He was trying to express himself through music within the bounds of the religion, having a really hard time pushing back on some of those rules because all of the rules and restrictions within the Jehovah's witness religion around music and eventually left, came back, and then he left again when he realized he could no longer do this and finally was able to fully express himself through his music, through different bands, and now he's actually creating a documentary called Witness Underground where he follows other musicians and their stories and talks about their life within the Jehovah's Witness religion, coming out of it, and then again fully expressing themselves and healing through music. So, We're really excited because he's launching very, very soon, and we would love your support to also help this get off the ground. We'll tell you all about how you can do that later. But first, let me welcome Scott Homan. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Elise. Really excited to be on Cults of Consciousness. It's been a long time coming. Really love your show. Oh, thank you so much. So just to give people an idea then of the religion... Will you kind of give us a breakdown of some of the rules and restrictions that you are living under? Yeah, some of the well-known ones. We start our film with this because it's always nice to like, I heard something about your religion and okay, so I'm going to give you those. Um, Witnesses don't celebrate Christmas and they don't celebrate birthdays. And that is true. They also don't celebrate New Year's or Thanksgiving or Mother's Day or Father's Day Mm -hmm. or anything that celebrates a single person as an individual 
or celebrates a nation in any kind. You can't salute the flag. You can't say anything. Can't sing a song, a national song. Oh, really? What about the Pledge of Allegiance? Absolutely off limits. Oh, interesting. From a very young age, you are kicked out of the classroom and made to feel different and separate because your parents want that, apparently, Mm -hmm. um, if you're a religious Jehovah's Witness. And you are ostracized, essentially, from a very young age. Like, I'm different. I'm other for everyone else in the classroom. Um, for a, a young example of some stand I had to make against, in a way, like I kind of felt it was like it hurt because it's like this social thing. But then it's like, well, I'm standing up for something right. And there shouldn't be, you know, there is a fight against the church against state, which of course, as like an eight year old, you don't know what anything that means. Right. But someone has told you like, that's something we're for, you know? Okay. So I'm standing up for like justice in my country against like the evils of the dominance of religion or government or something. I don't know. They try to, you know, it's like, it's all of a sudden the confusion begins, right? Like, yeah. well, what do I stand for? Um, but yeah, no holidays, no government, no Memorial Day. Um, anything that has to do with like the rest of humanity is basically like, no, we don't do that. We are different. Okay. And then, and then it begins like the, co- the persecution complex, which I never really thought of until after way after getting out or had even heard of, but like the feeling that you, um, are being challenged by everyone else because you are in a religion right. or a culture or a, a different group. The religion leaders want you to feel like, everyone's against you mm-hmm. so they they put give you 30 50 different situations where you are not part of the main group and you are made to feel different because you kind of have to or you know god and the demons are all watching so you need to self police and make sure you like take that stand because it might you know block you from getting into heaven or paradise one day yeah like that's always the thing that's running so like from the very very young age all the fun stuff you can't even have like a cake that was made for a birthday even if you don't sing the song or actually go to the party, but there's leftover cake, like that's wrong because that wow. was made an offer to a celebration that was off limits according to the Bible. Um, or if it's a holiday, it's like that was made as an offering to the false God of that pagan religion and this pagan representation in what we is so-called Christianity, but it's actually Christendom and the evil, like negative false form of Christianity. So like you can't have candy from a holiday. Wow. So even if it's after the first thing that came to mind because Thanksgiving is coming up, would you still make those classic meals and just not call it Thanksgiving or turkey and cranberry sauce off limits? <laughs> A lot of people do that. And I fortunately was from one of the families who my mom never really joined it and she maintained a lot of the traditions mm. um, in our family and would do it the day after. Okay. <laughs> or like her mom, my grandma would like, they'd get us Christmas gifts, but they would call it like the once a year gift. Oh, wow. And we would get it on the 26th of December um, from the non-Jehovah's Witness grandparent. I like that. Um, loopholes. Which I appreciated. <laughs> Yeah, lots of loopholes, lots and lots of loopholes. (laughs) Even my Jehovah's Witness family were like new in their religion. Like they joined it as adults. Yeah. My grandparents did in their 50s and my parents in their 30s with kids. Um, We even had a a non, I don't even know why Thanksgiving is off limits or New Year's because they're not religious or really national. They're just like a special day. Um, And Thanksgiving is really important in general U.S. culture. I know there's like some controversy about its origins, of course, and I fully accept that whole topic but um we it was really important for our family on both sides so like we had like a, a jehovah's witness version of thanksgiving the day after thanksgiving for the jehovah's witness family mm. and we just called it like oh it's like turkey and cranberry day got it and it's like it's on sale 
you know? Right. <laughs> so there was like definitely loopholes on my side of the story. Yeah. But it's like, those are like the small wins that like make life a little bit palatable. Um, while you're like not able to celebrate anything and have like no real markers for time, like the rest of humanity does. And every time someone else is like, Oh, I'm doing the awesome thing that everyone else is doing. You're like, I'm s- taking a stand for the true God and not doing it. And then it's like, you know, a sense of pride, but also like disappointment because you can't have fun mm. with everyone else in a shared experience and doing that for decades has its has effects <laughs> as i'm sure we'll get into on some level yeah i mean life is about celebrating the little things even if it's a stupid holiday like valentine's day just something yeah. to where we can collectively agree this is a great day to celebrate and go out and have fun and so if you're denied that yeah. it must feel really isolating and all of this is leading up to the doomsday thing right the oh, armageddon yeah. where Jesus comes back and it's very apocalyptic in ways. And that's kind of the whole, I don't know if you would call it the basis of the religion, but it's a big focus, right? It's a huge focus. And it's something I forget because like, it was just like ever present. The bad news that was in the news that week would be the thing that everyone at church was talking to, talking about on Tuesday night, on Thursday nights and on Sunday mornings. And if you did go preaching on Saturday mornings, like more about half of your week wrapped up in this and, that's like, that's the thing you're allowed to share openly is like, this is bad news. And that proves that it's the end of the world. I can't wait for the end to come and Jesus to come and wipe clean all the bad people. Right. Like genocide's coming. They would never use that language, but like, they're like, can't wait for that. The whole genocide thing to be over so we can then just like live forever in peace and paradise. And, and then, you know, then there's the common jokes when you're actually preaching, like, like, that's a pretty nice house. Like those people were kind of mean to us. Like they're probably not going to make it. Like I'm totally taking that ha- lake house. Oh my God. And everyone's like, that's a pretty <laughs> sick house. Like I would, I wouldn't mind having that house too. Maybe we'll have to fight over it in the paradise. Oh my God. You're plotting <laughs> like the houses of the jokes. sinners <laughs> and you're like, that's going to be mine soon. <laughs> I'm sure I was probably guilty of that on one or two occasions. Um, I don't really recall it, but hearing that was like a norm and it's like global. Like every witness has like, Oh yeah. When you go preaching, you're like plotting which house you're taking after the people that live there right now are dead. Oh it's pretty dark. And it's like in three years. I mean, everyone, everything's always been like, it's like right here. Uh-huh. And the language they use is it's imminent now. But before that, they were like, it's exactly this day. It's exactly this year and this date. Um, or it's, it's coming. Like we know it's going to be this decade. It has to be because of this Bible chronology. Mm-hmm. And it, like everyone's always kind of talking about this is the end and this is the proof or some weird, you know, nuanced metaphor in the bible but the king of the north is like a thing they always like to talk about um, not always but like it's like one of the deeper concepts of of and daniel where like the king of the north and witnesses think it's russia or like the anyone against the united states is like represents this evil force that will like bring the end through war anyway there's just a lot to say but like that was doomsday is is like they are doomsday cults right they might they don't like the word cult of and course we can not. get into we get into that nuance but um, it's a loaded word, but like it's a doomsday organization and they're very fundamentalist and very conservative in a lot of ways, very extreme in their views and, and how they live and how they expect you to adhere to conformity. Right. And I remember with our episode um, with Altworldly, when we were talking oh, cool. about Jehovah's Witnesses, he was saying there's a whole page on the website about why they're not a cult. And I found that really funny. It's yeah. like, if you have to have a page <laughs> saying why you're not a cult, you should probably look into that. But <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you, before we get more into your childhood, just 
briefly, I'm curious because I know you've been out for a while. When COVID happened, did you have in the back of your mind like, oh, shit, was I wrong? Is the end of the world actually here? Did any of that cross your mind? That did not. What did cross my mind? Because and I've been out 15 years. Yeah, so, so that's was, a long time. You know, four years ago, so about 10, a little over 10 years at that time. And what crossed my mind is like, oh, I bet they think this is the real sign of the end of the world. Absolutely. And, they, and what I was reading about it without talking to them, that, that they really did think that. Because um, it was in a bigger way than ever before, maybe since like the Cold War or World War II. Um, it's probably the biggest thing. And it's like so global. And it's and it isn't one of the things that Jesus says isn't the sign, which war and famine are like not the sign. I guess it would maybe be a famine. Anyway, yeah. They always attribute <laughs> everything to the end of the world. Like that's a sign, even though it's like there's a clear list of things that are definitely not the signs in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. The same thing happened with Mormonism <laughs> with the prepper Mormons. I mean, honestly, mm. Mormonism is an end of times cult. It's literally called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. And Joseph Smith was saying, in this generation, Jesus is going to come back. And so it's the same type of thing where every year it's like, this is the last generation. You are the chosen generation. And we're like, okay, it's still going. So I think we're fine. But there yeah. were a lot Wasn't of- Wasn't like 1830s or 50s 1830s that he started that the he thing? Started, yeah. 30s, Somewhere in yeah. there. I mean, it's, it's been a while. The timeline's been a, few generations. a little weird, but- Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a lot of Mormons were like, this is it. Get your food storage ready, which I never really, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if the earth, according to Mormonism, is going to go up in flames, so is your food storage. Like you're not going to need that <laughs> if the earth goes up in flames and you're <laughs> lifted up. Anyway. Oh, is it kind of like a rapture? It is. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It's extremely terrifying and very graphic and gruesome. The older prophets like Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, I believe, have been known to say that the streets will fill with blood in Salt Lake City. And it's like they really described what Whoa. it would be like. Yeah, it's pretty gross. I went to the temple in Salt Lake. Oh, you did? Yeah, I went to the temple and I went to the tour. Is there a wax museum under the temple or on the temple grounds of oh. all the people individuals i don't know what to call them because they're like from other planets they're like a wax a human like a full room with like a person writing like everyone's writing something and they're different humanoids wait what? from different planets humans from other this? planets what is and, this in uh, temple yeah, square yeah there's like a whole wax museum tour of the writers of the 12 or 13 books that are aren't the book of mormon it's like the other books Hold on, you're just unlocking some new conspiracy that I've never heard of, and I have to look into it now. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a very public tour. I'm not I didn't, I'm not saying like I got a private uh -huh. single person tour by like an insider. Um, it was like the hey, come along with us. Like we're taking the non you know non spiritual people like you heathens out there on a tour of the God's true people come into our basement layer of aliens. What in the <laughs> and then world? And later I went up into like the tower where like jesus you like go through a space tower where like jesus is like out and you're supposed to like have a moment of silence with jesus this is so new to me and i'm going to look <laughs> into this guys if you have heard of this before let me know in the comments where this is because i'm so curious salt lake's really interesting <laughs> yeah i grew up in utah but not in salt lake i was like two hours north so we weren't really in salt lake at okay. all in my childhood so for the jehovah's witnesses with this end times there's only I think is the number 166,000 that are going to make it to heaven. 144,000. Oh, it was close. 144,000. So what are the rules? Like, how do you know if you're one of those people who can get to heaven? That's an interesting question. And uh, I learned from when I was six, 
to bring up a story, uh, an important moment for me. I was six, seven years old. My mom's dad died, not ever affiliated with this religion. Uh, believe he was Lutheran or they were Lutheran-ish. Um, but he read the Bible all the time. He had the King James. He would smoke his pipe every day and, and read um, like a chain smoker. <laughs> um, he died suddenly from a, a aneurysm and mm-hmm. everyone inside the family went to the funeral. They're like, your grandpa's now in heaven. And all the Jehovah's Witnesses, my parents had just started going there. We're like, your grandpa's definitely not in heaven. Only 144,000 can go to heaven, which is very confusing. So I spent like a year, like I learned how to pray. I'd never prayed to God as a tiny, as a kid until then. Cause like Joe's going to pray all the time. Uh, You're listening to other people praying. So I was like, I'm always praying and I'm asking God, like, why not 144,000 in one? Like, why is my grandpa not deserve heaven? I don't understand. I'm confused. And like, like almost like mad about it, like yelling at God, like yeah. give, open, why, why can't we have a plus one to heaven? Oh. And not understanding that like I didn't also have the possibility of getting into heaven and like it's a very elite class. Um, and I, I was taught and I thought was true up until even like recently, uh, maybe, maybe after I was out, years after I was out, that like the leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe they are going to heaven. I always thought that they weren't. And I didn't even know who they were. I'd never heard of their names as a witness. So like the leaders were almost like an anonymous group. It seemed oh. like, and maybe to a normal adult, they wouldn't have been, but they weren't like celebrity. So it's like, well, who can go? So I was always under, under the impression and taught that the people that are writing the magazines and the books that the Jehovah's Witnesses, like the Watchtower Bible and Track Society Corporation of Pennsylvania, that we like have to, give our allegiance to before we get baptized, that that group was made up of the writing group was like the actual, they call it the anointed class and they are the ones that get to go. And I may have misunderstood that as an active witness, but you know, I was active witness for over 20 years. So is that my fault that I didn't know that? (laughs) So to show that you are one of those special people, there's one like the, the mass that the Christians might do where they take the, they drink Jesus's blood and eat his flesh. Yeah. That like human sacrificey weird thing that Christians do. Jehovah's Witnesses do that once, but only on the Jewish Passover. Um, the same exact following the Jesus and his disciples method that they did in the Last Supper, famous Last Supper. So in the witness world, that's the only holiday that exists. And it's the only special day that they have each year. And it follows the Jewish calendar. Um, so when Jews are to this day celebrating Passover, witnesses are in their place on after sundown doing their thing and the people that believe they're going to go to heaven the 144,000 and they call them the anointed class they will show that that is what they believe um, by drinking the wine that's get pa- that gets passed around and eating the unleavened bread that gets passed around but the rest of the people who don't have that who think they're going to live forever on earth and have like an earthly life into the future paradise like live on the planet being ruled over by this um, the overlords in space who used to be humans who are now like weird angelic creatures and in, invisible. Um, <laughs> they watch those people drinking the wine and eating the bread and they're like, oh my God, one of them are here. We didn't know. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> it's just an inner knowing. You decide for yourself if you're worthy enough. Yes. And they spend about three months ahead of that every year talking about how no one is anointed, probably, except the people that are have mental health problems so can't really trust those people they're not really you know we don't really know even if they take the wine and eat the bread like you can't really trust that they're anointed it's interesting that they would make a big show of it even if they're like 
yeah, no one here really is, but we're going to let them think they are by making this whole production of, like, I don't know, it just seems like a weird way to highlight those who they already tell you are probably not. It's very strange. And I think it has to do with, like, the origin group of the religion really thought that they were part of God's special arrangement and that they were the only small community that were going to go to heaven. But then like a lot of people started following this religion. They're like, whoops. Oh, what do we tell these, <laughs> these like underclass? Like we have to like make them make sure that they know they're slaves and they're going to stay slaves forever. Like, there's no, there's no extra above this. We're in charge. They're not kind of situation, a control situation. Yeah. So even within your religion, you're kind of put down. Like you have the superiority complex that you're doing the right thing and you're not saying the Pledge of Allegiance and you're, you know, kind of othered in school. Yet at the same time, your own religion is saying, but you're really not that special because there's other people who have taken your spot in heaven. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a strange thing because in a way, the only people on, on the planet who are saying like, there is no afterlife are atheists. But Jehovah's Witnesses are like, there's nothing after you die. You just you just become non-existent forever. And it's only like, so the, with the earth hope, the non-heaven hope, which is what most witnesses think is going to happen and believe, um, they're just hoping that when they die, that God will remember them in his, what they call the book of life. And so if he remembers you and he valued you, he would bring you back to oh. life on earth. Otherwise, you're just dead, dead. Like you're 100% like non-existent. Okay, so let me make sure I'm understanding correctly. So- there is no heaven in Jehovah's Witness theology. It's you get brought back to earth. Yeah. Like the active, present, normal day witnesses, that's what they believe. Okay. There is this strange, very like one in 10,000 or one in, a, you know, let's see. They think there's like, when I was in it, there was like 5,000 left who are still drinking the wine and eating the bread once a year. And out of 8 billion or 8 million, sorry. Um, so does the math there? It's like less than 1%. Eight million Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide. Yeah, it's like half the size of Mormonism, I think, ish, globally. Yeah. Well, apparently there's 16 million Mormons, but they baptize people who don't even really know what they're doing in other countries. I heard about, I heard about that. And also, apparently there's only like 4.6 million active LDS. Hmm. Because again, they're just baptizing people, putting them on the records, and they're like, see, we're growing, but people aren't actually participating. Yeah, I think witnesses have a similar thing. And they stopped reporting a couple of years back is like kind of an evidence that like they don't like that the numbers are going down. So they <laughs> so just stopped, they stopped reporting saying, numbers at all. Yeah, the move that Mormonism does is every year they announce that they're building new temples. So they make it seem like there's a need for more temples yeah. to go up, but they're just sitting empty. There's right. really nothing going on. It's a real estate business yeah. in the end. Yeah. But all Scientology is that way, witnesses, yep. Mormons. It's interesting to hear that actually. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back to you. So let's go back to a point in your childhood that was really memorable to you, something that stood out and maybe something that really had an effect on you. There's one early moment where I had started doing Jehovah's Witnessy things and like my biology teacher was saying all kinds of, of just heathen, heathen talk about how animal life and plant life works like he's supposed to like that's in the curriculum for every school in america <laughs> and i was like this is terrible this guy needs to understand the revelation book it's amazing and crazy uh -huh. <laughs> so like i tried to get i gave him this huge book that we were studying at the time and i we maybe it was our second time studying it like we like for a year a year and a half we're like going through page by page going through a deep deep it's a fantasy book it's crazy it's chaos <laughs> um 
written by a guy who died in prison, probably doing drugs in his nineties, John, apparently that's what, yeah, who knows anyway. Um, and, and so like I told, I told the, one of the elders that was like a close family friend at this point. Um, we, we used to have book study in their home. It's like the Tuesday night meeting where we study the revelation book. And I was like, Oh yeah, I gave my biology teacher who believes in the crazy evolution theory. What an idiot. <laughs> I gave him the revelation book and he didn't like it, but he took it. And, and like the later, the, this elder, one of those nights, he's like, so I was wondering if you would in front of my dad, it's like, would you be willing to go up on stage? And, um, you know, you've seen people go up on stage and they give their experience. Like it's a really amazing experience. It could encourage the other kids and talk about how you, you placed, you know, God's literature with your biology teacher. And I was like, um, do you, you want me to lie? <laughs> and my, the elder was like, you know, this guy's like a family friend and like a, another, like an uncle to me in a sense, in a way I have respected him a lot. And my dad, they both just like, had like wide eyed, like, I didn't expect that to come out of my child kind of moment. And which I always look back on that, like, what, it, that's what I was thinking of the people giving their experiences on stage. It was all fake. Like, right. no one was, no one was authentic. And like, does anyone even believe any of this stuff kind of thinking? I was always a little bit skeptical and frustrated. And you're supposed to always raise your hand and like participate. And I kind of out of protest was like, this is stupid. I, this is, they're not even like considering five other really important points were just sort of reading a paragraph and telling them that sentence three is the answer sure. and then repeating it. And, and it was like, we, this is the dumbest waste of time. It's like obedience class 101 it was an indoctrination session. And I, I hated it, honestly, but I went and I liked the social side of it, I guess, on some level. It is, it is nice to have community in church. And I think that's the one thing it still provides to people. But um, it, that was revelatory for me to, and also to look back on like an interesting moment. Cause like kids say the darndest thing. You know? <laughs> and like, that was me being one of those kids. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you had that awareness at such a young age. I remember cause we would do testimony meetings, which sound like the same thing where it happens once a month for Mormons and it's called fast and testimony meetings. So you don't eat and then you go to church and then you stand up and say why, you know, the church is true. And they would have little kids on the pulpit and parents whispering things into little three-year-olds ears to repeat back. And it's super culty now that I look at it. But at the time I was like, Oh, three-year-old knows that joseph smith is a prophet <laughs> like it's just <laughs> it's really silly but i definitely didn't have the awareness to question people because i was looking at everyone around me and i'm like well if they know it's true then why why am i struggling or i shouldn't have any doubts because clearly the doctor and the lawyer are getting up and they're smart guys and so i just kind of went along with it yeah, I think one of the things I wish I'd had back then was the tools that you learn in middle school debate or high school debate, which is logical fallacies uh -huh. and like the straw man, uh, red herring, um, appeal to authority. I mean, religions appeal to the Bible as an authority all day long. And when they do appeal to an, a secular authority, they often misquote them or take their words and ideas out of context. Witnesses are notorious for that. Like every single written quote that they've ever put in their literature, like the vast, vast majority, if not all, are complete like manipulations of what they were actually trying to say. Mm -hmm. They just like took this half sentence out of context and try to make it prove their own point when they're actually the opposite was what they were trying to convey in what they are taking it from. And that was, you know, true for what we show off in the movie as well. Like one of the, per one of the shows dishonesty in, on the part of the religion is, and it's manipulative. They're using appeal to authority and that is a logical fallacy, but they're using it to, manipulate and they're doing it dishonestly it's like oh man it's like a lot there yeah 
and that's stuff that you figure out once you've left. So at what age did you start really thinking, okay, I want to push back? Was it around the time where you were trying to have these bands and create music and you were getting struck with all these restrictions? I think my parents kept a shelter for us and there's, and maybe like the fact that we had such extended family had nothing to do with that faith. We had a lot of leniency in the congregation. We're like, these are the only people who've ever come out of our preaching work, like to the congregation. Like we have to like be nice to them and be gentle and like let, let the kids get away with some stuff and not be hard on them. And uh, none of us really getting baptized. Uh, my older brother eventually did. And then I, I did just before leaving um, my parents, which I don't even know really why. It was sort of like some pressure, but there was like almost all my friends were not witnesses. Like I have Pentecostal friends, um, Lutheran friends, atheist friends, Catholic friends, non-denominational, non-religious people, like normal high school mix of human beings. And um, I had some cousins who were associated with the religion, but they were also not like in it, in it. So we were playing music and I was, I played prom. I went to prom. You're not allowed to do that. I did. Um, like we were doing, we were going to punk rock shows. Like I saved all the money I was making um, when I started driving and having ability to, it was rural Wisconsin. So like you have to drive a couple hours to do anything um, on concerts and music and music was just like such a through line throughout my young life. Like I wanted to, I got the Nirvana Nevermind album, like everyone in the nineties and was like, Oh my God, I need a guitar immediately and started making that kind of music. I loved it. And so did like all my close friends. Like we all played some music together. Yeah. That was like, I had this like middle road um, experience that most witnesses don't have such a strict thing, but I had like the cognitive, I had like two worlds I was living in where most witnesses don't get that benefit. Um, if we're going in chronological order, there's more to say there, but I left home and my very first job was a TV station job. I ran camera and they, um, they're like, Hey, we need you to shoot. It was December 1st. And I even wrote a song called December 1st about how awesome it was to be on your own and like live, um, on your own apartment and like fund your life. And I was making $4 and 50 cents an hour running camera at a TV wow. studio. It was like the worst paying job of my life, but it was so much fun. I actually loved it. Um, but one of the things was like, Hey, you need to go shoot Christmas at this church. And I guess I, I, th I always thought it was Lutheran, maybe it was a Catholic church because they, they were in Latin and I don't know if Lutherans do Latin, uh -huh. but anyway, I would, I was like, well, okay, technically it's my job and I'm basically starving. So I think I'm going to just not make a huge stand and I'm free for the first time. I can kind of make my own decision. I'm three weeks free. <laughs> I'm going to another church. And I was like, I'm kind of curious too. And I, as long as nobody knows, I won't get in trouble for going to another church. I'd never been to another church. Like when does have a big ban on like accepting literature from other religions or learning or reading about other religions or considering other faith? Definitely you cannot enter a building. You can, you can't even go to attend a wedding um, of an extended family member who's in a church really of another religion. Like that's off limits. Like stepping into a church is like an act of defiance of your own God. What? That is extreme information control. Yeah. So I was like, I think all my friends are from another religion. Like what's the big deal? It's not like I'm worshiping. I'm just running camera. So like I gave myself the loophole. Yeah. I'm just going to check it out. And so I was running sound <laughs> and getting different angles. And there's, you know, it's a live production. So like there's a guy talking to me. You're like, oh, you know, get that shot. Okay. Zoom in here. Okay. Just get, grab this thing. Get that light. Do a super zoom on that light. Okay. I'm doing all this like creative stuff. It's actually a lot of fun, but I was like astonished by how extremely culty it felt to me. Uh huh. Cause I'd never really experienced anything like it where like people are standing up 
And then a guy on the stage is like in a weird outfit and he's like saying something <laughs> in Latin and then turning his back and then everybody kneels on and then they chant the thing back. And then all of a sudden everyone's chanting in unison and it ends quickly and then everyone sits down. And then like, I was like, what is happening? It's not in English. Everyone, this is insane. And it sounds like what I could only experience is like something from the middle ages in a cult. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh yeah, this religion is from the middle ages and it probably was a cult, <laughs> but now it's just like a global thing. Um, where I was like, I guess I'm grateful that witnesses are like, they speak in our language and they're kind of do an educational type format, like a classroom style. I guess that's like a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I don't need to go back to Catholic church again. I got that out of my system. And then we had a New Year's party. And that was like the next thing that kind of like shocked my world. So this is like my first month of like freedom, right? But I'm, I'd met all these witnesses. I'd reluctantly gone to the next town over my dad's advice, like constantly through high school, like go meet witnesses, go meet witnesses. And the only thing that witnesses do where I'm from is play basketball in the summer and football in the fall and hockey in the winter. And I don't care about any of those three things <laughs> at all. I cared about skateboarding, snowboarding deeply, um, playing music deeply and traveling. I loved it. So none of those things were interesting to me, but I went there and I was like, oh, there's like some other like weirdos like on the sidelines who don't want to be there. <laughs> so I was like, hey, what's what's your thing? And they're like, oh, I hate basketball. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be here either. And they're like, what's your thing? And I was like, oh, I'm in a band. I've been playing like, I don't know. They're like, what kind of music do you like? And then all of a sudden the conversation's going like, oh, I'm a drummer and I do like, I like love the drummer for Zeppelin. And and then, you know, the other guy's like, oh, I have like, um, I'm doing like jam bands and 311. I'm like, you should come over sometime. And like, I built a skate ramp in my backyard. I didn't know there was like witnesses who, you know, did that kind of stuff. There's a few of us here in this town area, but like, you know, it's like they're all, they're the weirdos. Like, I have friends from high school that I, I can kind of hang out with sometimes. And so I was like, oh, okay, there's like people like me who are sort of like not towing the line and not super indoctrinated. You know, so we started hanging out, became good friends. And that was like 17, 18. And then I didn't go to college because you're not allowed to go to college in that religion. Mm. And I didn't really want to, but I don't know if that was like, did I not want to? Or did, was it like the whole culture around me was like, right. don't do it. It's bad for you. So I didn't go. And I was like really missing all of my friends. And I was like feeling like I missed out on like a, a big important life transition mode. I was just like, oh, I'm the, I'm the idiot who like stuck around. And like, while everyone else is having an awesome time and having a new crazy cool adventure in a new city somewhere. Oh, I, I really screwed that up. I didn't take the idea of going to college seriously. And I was like, well, I'm going to hang out with these cool witnesses in the next county and town over. And I moved in with them in our first apartment. So that was like December 1st, then the Christmas. And then, and then they were like, one of them was a drummer. One of them was a bassist and pay, played piano and keyboard. Another one was a DJ who would like DJ vinyl. Uh-huh. And he would take like comedy records and, and like mix them with beats. And it was so funny and so cool. <laughs> we're like, we should do a homewarming party. And, and they're like, yeah, cool. And I said, I invited all my friends from my hometown who are still around or back on holiday because it's like the holiday season. So like they're in town back from college. And, um, so no, those guys, those witnesses also had their like school friends. It's like this whole mix of like our two worlds. And for me, I was like, well, I just met, you know, I've, I've known my brother's friends who are also witnesses and like, I'm just gonna invite everyone I know. It's like a, it's like a, we're, we have our own new house, right? It's like all these people came, including the elders' daughters who I invited. And then the next day was like drama beyond, um, beyond because like those elders, daughters, um, who were lovely people, they were just like very much like towing the line mm. and like high up, like pi- they're, 
pioneering, they call it, where they go preaching 100% of your life, um, like 70 hours a week, a month. Jeez. They were like, you guys were partying with people who are not witnesses, worldly people, unacceptable, and drinking alcohol. People that were not 21 were drinking alcohol. And I know for Mormons, that's like, you never drink alcohol. Uh-huh. But for witnesses, especially in Wisconsin, it's like the drunkest state in America. Like, <laughs> I've been going to parties with alcohol, there's like a child's room at every bar where I'm from. Like there's kids always at the bar. What? Like you're just, you would grow up in bars. Uh-huh. There's beer and there's alcohol always. All the elders um, got together. I didn't know anything about this, but like I got a call. They're like, you need to show up to the kingdom hall. I'm like, today? They're like, yeah, it's really important. We heard what you guys did. And I was like calling my friends like, what, what are they talking about? I'm like at the skate park. I'm wearing my tattered, this is the 90s, so like tattered, like huge baggy pants are like ripped in seven places and my primus t-shirt that i've had for like six years like brand, a band i love it's like ripped in a bunch of places I'm like this is my skateboard outfit it's like <laughs> i'm gonna crash a hundred times while trying to do this one trick and roll in the dirt I'm like i show up to church in this and i've just been like blasting punk rock at the skate park for like the last four hours i'm exhausted in this and it was like for some it was like middle of winter but it was like a nice day out for some reason global climate change <laughs> and i Went in and they're like, we heard what happened. What do you have to say for yourself? And I was like, so belligerent. I was like, why is that party a problem? They're like, you had a New Year's party. I was like, it's not a holiday. And they're like, but witnesses don't celebrate New Year's. And I was like, why? And they're like, ah, there's like eight (laughs) guys all in their suits. And I'm like in like tattered skateboard clothes. And then like all the other people that were at the party are also at church, all dressed up in their suits and, and, and dresses. Like shamefully mm-hmm. have just taken it you know like getting yeah and i was just like and then they're like what about alcohol and i'm like we're in wisconsin i don't think i've been to a party that didn't have underage drinking ever <laughs> including every party i've thrown for the last four years in our like private music studio with witnesses and chaperones or whatever i'm trying to do everything the right way that's not the issue What's the issue here? It's like, sounds about like it's about control. And so that became, that was like my attitude. I actually didn't get in any trouble, but like they had this different opinion of me because I was like the new guy in town. And this is like, this is, this is my first, this is my fifth week in this town. Like no one knows me mm. and I'm somehow this like terrible influence. And then all almost, there's like 15 witnesses that were teenagers at that point, teenagers, early twenties that I was, had become friends with skateboarders, snowboarders, musicians, punk rock, hip hop, DJs, artists all left religion except for two and me. And somehow I was like, how am I the one who's still in this religion <laughs> after all these people left? And then that sort of that whole community just like dissolved for me. And my parents are like, you have the worst choice of friends. And I was like, these are the people you wanted me to be friends with. Yeah. These are the witnesses at your church things that you wanted me to get to know. I got to know them because they were, at the church gathering. I have no idea what you want me to do here. I only know how to make friends. I know how to make friends through like mutual experience or shared interests. Anyway, then it's like my high school friends were like summer hit. I was at the TV studio. Like that all, that whole world just fell apart. And I was like trying to like, you know, make things happen for my life. And I stayed at this TV studio. And then my friends came through and they're like, Hey, do you want to go to California? Hit up all the, there's like six skate parks in America at that point. Now there's like four in every town in America. But at the time it was like a rebellious to be a skateboarder and something we deeply passionately loved and watched every skate video that ever came out and every snowboarding video that ever came out. And they're like, do you guys, you want to hit the road with Dave and I, uh, my buddy, Tim, 
um, we're going to go to the West coast and like check out Burnside in Portland. And then we're going to go down to San Diego and there's this other park and like go to LA and like skate the, the river ways through LA. I was like, damn, that sounds so fun. Let's do it. And I just like, was that I got to work and I just like told the manager, I was like, I quit. He's like, you're quit. We have a show in like an hour. And I was like, what? I gotta, I gotta go to the West coast like right now. He's like, I can't believe you're doing this. I was like, well, you pay me $4 an hour. So what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> and I just pieced out and I like got in the car and we hit the road and it was awesome. And I just like having that break from the religion and all the drama and like all my friends weren't in the religion anymore. Right. So, um, having my true friends, like my real friends, I made like pick me up and like get the road. It's cool. And then like having, um, like space and time was like super valuable. And we ended up going to like week five. We were in San Diego with, uh, with, like a friend is like a, bro- a friend of one of the guy's brothers living in Pasadena. And they're like, yeah, they want to go to church. Um, we're gonna go to church on Sunday. Do you want to go with, I was like, you know what? That whole religion is like broken in so many ways. I went to the Christmas thing. Like what's one more, like give it, they're like, yeah, like, I mean, you've been doing your religion. You never talked to us about it, but like, obviously it's not like super strong. Like check this other thing out. Like, so I did. And they gave me like, They gave me this pamphlet that was like, it was like 10 stories of families who were like kicked out. It was about shunning. Mm. So it's obviously like personal, but I read that that day. And like really felt for those people because like they were like individuals, elders, whole families that were like cut off from their family or individuals in their family or someone didn't talk to them anymore for years and it hurt. And I had had like one experience with that where like a cousin had done something that was considered against the rules and um, had to be shunned and everyone in the family had to not talk to this person for a year. And it like instantly knew that like every single story in there was true. And it wasn't like they were embellishing. It was just like, this is what it is. And it was like, this is the way the witnesses do it. And it sucks. And it's abuse. It's emo- man- emotional manipulation. And uh, like everyone's suffering. Like this isn't a something that someone that really probably follows God would do. It's not loving. Mm-hmm. It's abusive. Um, and then I just was like, yeah, wow, I can't go back to that thing. And I just didn't. And I didn't go back to church for like a really long time. Um, and there was a situation where I went back to my hometown and I confronted my dad about this. He's like, I heard you haven't been going to church. And it's like, or have you been or whatever? And we started talking about it. We had a whole sit down. We had a really like, I was like being really honest with him about what I read, about what I thought, about what I believed, what I didn't believe. And um, he brought me to tears basically with two things. One was like, just do it, do it the way I do it. You don't need the people in the congregation. You don't need this religion. You just need your relationship with God and like get to the living forever immortality thing. Um, get to paradise. And, um, it's like, yeah, but 
like this whole religion, according to you, according to them, is the only path. Like you have to follow the rules. And he's like, no, you don't. You can, you can actually do it your own way. I'm like, well, then why do you need them? And we had this whole like, we're just like going back and forth. But in the end, he like, he's like, listen, you, you want to live, you want to live here at the, at the music studio? Cause they'd like, they bought the second, the, the neighbor's house after he, after he died from the family. It had been our music studio all through high school and like everyone and all my friends throughout high school left their instruments there and we recorded albums there and tons of parties. It was awesome. And, um, I was like, yeah, he's like, well, this, how about this? You don't, you'd say you don't believe it, but like, we'll talk to the elders. You'll, you'll start studying again. We got a whole new batch of elders. All the elders got like removed. We have a whole new group. Like you can talk to them and like, they give you a fresh perspective, which is, that's a whole thing. But he's like, if you go, if you go preaching full time, um, I'll give you half price rent. And I was like, uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> and you want me to teach it to others? Yeah. I don't even know if like I can get into the headspace, but I, when I looking back on it, it felt like, cause he brought me to tears on this couch, having this conversation, like in the house I grew up in. And, and it felt like now I've been in, you know, lived through other situations as an adult, but it felt like an emotional abusive move. Like no matter how honest I am, no matter how heartfelt and like authentic I'm being, my father won't do that with me. He won't go there with me. He just thinks if I talk to the elders, I'll get, he'll get to have me in his paradise. And that's his goal. Mm -hmm. Or that like doing the teaching and preaching will be the thing that makes me faithful again by ignoring all the things that I don't believe or like the contradictions that I've found or the emotional manipulation that I see happening and I know happens and how ugly it is. And I, I was like, okay, so like, I don't like the trap. I don't want to be in it. My dad's in it and he wants to take me back into it. And like, now I'm like wrapping myself back up into it, but on, on sort of like my own terms, like I usually talk about that story in like a helpful way. Cause I was like, well, I'm going to be in my band and I'm going to record this album and I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to college and I'm going to do what I want. You know, like I was like, I have, I've setting my boundaries and I'm not obeying these rules anymore. Um, and he was like, yeah, fine. I don't care. doesn't matter as long as you like get to live forever. What I'm imagining is going on. And I don't know because I'm not a parent, but from hearing other people's stories and even just talking to my mom, we've done episodes with her. It's like these parents are so deep in this belief system that they truly think their own child is going to suffer or go to hell or not come back for paradise and they will do whatever it takes to make sure their child is back on the path. And what I've noticed throughout my own extended family or friends is that these parents will do anything, even if it means destroying the relationship with the child now and meaning that they can secure their future in the afterlife. And it's just so destructive. And it's so obvious for us now in our new perspective, looking at it going, wow, that was a really bad move. Why didn't they just listen to me? Why didn't they hear me out? Why didn't they acknowledge my feelings and my pains and my struggles? But I think if I were to analyze it from their perspective, they are just desperate to get you to go to the right place. So I don't care what you do. I don't care what rules you want to follow. But as long as he gets baptized, we're on the right track. And that's kind of how I see it. Do you see it in a similar way? Yeah. I mean, it's a, that plus they joined it. 
my parents anyways. And so from my perspective as parents, like for them, it was not just, Oh, like this is God, the true God of the universe. It was also other 30 somethings raising kids in a safe environment that was drug free. Okay. And, um, less, less problems in the society, like the community that they wanted to distance themselves from anyways. Mm-hmm. And they happened to find genuine people who like, it was, you know, like any church could be that, but this one has like very, very strict rules. And like, yeah, we're gonna raise our kids there because it's safe for kids. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. But, so like there was also that happening, but yeah, I think, I think I'm for my dad. Cause my mom, like, I don't even know if she believes it. I still don't know. In fact, I don't know what any Jehovah's witness believes because they can't tell you what they believe they have to tell you what the church says they believe oh and you can't have an authentic conversation because if they don't tow the party line on every single thing if you don't if you have your own ideas like people will suspect you and then turn you into the elders so, like you have to have the party line you have to have the, the religious this is the thing you can have your favorite scriptures but as long as it doesn't you know as long as it's in line with their teachings right um, but yeah, I, my dad wants to just desperately live forever. And I just rewatched Star Wars and like Emperor Palpatine is trying to like manipulate Anakin. Uh-huh. And he's like, you want to see, you want to see Padme live? I only with the power of the dark side can, can we transcend and use the powers of the force to live forever? It's like the same message of manipulation. Like you want to live forever. And, and of course, Anakin never gets those powers. But it's like, I'll teach you, but you have to stick with me. You have to obey me no matter what. Obey, obey, obey. And then you get to have the carrot on the end of the stick eventually. But Maybe. wait until, yeah. I'll teach you later. I'll teach you later. I'll teach you later. You might get it. You might not get it. You might get it. So after that discussion, you decided to get baptized after all. Actually, I had surprised gotten baptized um, like at 17 as a minor. Oh. Um, and it was sort of like, I don't even know why I was doing it. Like my older brother had. And like one cousin had done it and my dad had done it and he was pressuring me to do it. And I wanted to live forever and the end of the world was coming and it was like, well, I mean, I don't know, like, any, is any of this real? Like, sure. I'll get dunked in a pool next <laughs> Just weekend. <in> case. <laughs> yeah. I actually kind of really thought there'd be like a profound spiritual moment while I was in the water for three seconds. I was like, I'm just wet. <laughs> and there's an audience it's really really uncomfortable right <laughs> and my grandparents are like i can't believe you didn't tell us you were going to get baptized it's so important we would have taken a photograph i can't believe we missed our grandson getting baptized and i was like i don't know is it important i don't know like <laughs> what is this whole thing we're doing it sucks can we go to like there's a concert tonight i want to get to <laughs> it's so boring here <laughs> I don't know. I was so conflicted at that point. So it's like, none of this is my ethos. None of this is what I care about. And meanwhile, all the music I was listening to was like, like, we're born to rise against them from rage against the machine. Um, know your enemy. Like they want, like, like the American dreams are, are manipulative things to get you to obey and, um, cooperate. And like, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's saying all this stuff, but like the religion's also doing those right. things and like telling me, something similar like maybe they're the enemy and like i i feel like being independent like i was getting philosophy from music that was that was way more important to me than the obedience classes we were having three days a week yeah that were felt more authentic and more real and i and that like i felt like was guiding me like music 
can save your life. A lot of people in our film community, um, and music, like the Witness Underground community often say that like, music saves their lives or was their savior at that point. And I feel like it was very much a coping mechanism. Like I would be depressed. And then like as a teenager in the fall, as everything's, all the leaves are falling, it's getting cold and it's going to be a six month winter again. And like, I'll play music for two hours a day and like be okay. But like, sort of like bummed about everything and like, feel like I was missing out on everything. And I had been missing out on so many important moments in life. And just like, okay, I'm just like alone at home all the time. And I don't want to be, but this is it. I guess I have music and I would lean into it. And I eventually wrote a lot of songs that we recorded. It was always there. Music was always like the through line that kept it going. Um, yeah. But yeah. So what was crazy about that time was that I was like, I'm living in the studio. And in that spring came around, I worked and I did the Jehovah's Witness thing. Um, and I played music and I was like, the guys came back for summer from college and they're like, let's get the band and like actually put this album out. We've been playing all these years, all these songs and we did it. We like recorded an album. And so I was like in back in my like hometown band for the summer and we were toured a little bit. We put an album out and it was awesome. Called We were called the clones. And I loved that. And at the end of it, I was like, well, I'm starting to meet all these like goody two shoes, Jehovah's witnesses who are all preaching all the time. Pioneers, they call them. Um, so I was doing that and I was going like, going on like hiking adventures and like camping and like whitewater rafting with Jehovah's witnesses while doing the preaching or after. And so it's like, we're trying to like mix fun with the Jehovah's witness stuff. And um, I was like, I think I need to quit the band and like form my own band. And I started to meet more witnesses, like another generation of witnesses who are coming out of the woodwork, more my little brother's age who are playing guitar and bass and in far farther reaches of the Jehovah's witness world. And I was like, Oh, there's other musicians. Like we should play music. And I formed my own band um, I'd already recorded it with my guys from my first band. And, um, and I was like, Hey, you guys want to like play my songs? We'll like, we'll make a band around my music and we can make more music later as we go. And we did that. And then like one person got disfellowshipped, which means like kicked out forever, like ostracized, shunned. And I didn't shun him and my little brother didn't shun him. And then that was a bassist and we got another bassist. And then, um, a guitarist came in and then he did something sexual and he got kicked out and then, he would call us all the time. We didn't shun him. We would take the phone calls and have a conversation. My little brother and I would both do that. And it was like, yeah, like music bond and like the friendships transcended that. But at the same time, it's like so hard to have a band where like a, a minister is in charge of who's in it mm-hmm. when you're trying to like do something about self-expression and like it wasn't even so much about rebellion. It's just like we just, this is the only thing that works in our lives. It's like we need the music because this other thing is this authoritarian pressure that never goes away. And if there's the demons are watching at all times and God's always watching. And I have to self police because like I have sexual urges and those are all wrong. And, uh, just like the amount of pressure and the, also like isolation from the rest of the world is like, it's just like exhausting. Um, and then to have your own band members be deleted by a minister, it's like, get out of my life. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so exhausted of all this. So what ended up happening to your band? Did you just eventually shut it down? My own band is called ADD Chronicles that we did with the, my high school buddies. And then the second band was called, um, waking life after a movie by Kim Curzon and, uh, link later, I believe did that. And, uh, there's a whole Easter egg there for people who know. Um, but yeah, like I kind of just dissolved it. We played a bunch of graduation parties and we started recording again. And, um, we brought in a, a guy we met who's in the witnesses, but he kind of on the edge and he used to play for black Dahlia murder. 
because he's like friends with those guys in Detroit. So he'd like drive eight hours to like play a show in Detroit with Black Dahlia Murder, who've become a huge mega metal band. Um, but that was cool because we like he was in our band when we were witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> um, shred, he could shred on, on guitar. But yeah, it just sort of like fell apart. And I was like, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of like all of this. I'm so tired of like the witnesses. And I just want to do anything else. And then uh, end up moving to Minneapolis. But during during that tumultuous time, I had met, and this brings us back to the movie, I had met these witnesses in farther, farther places in Chicago. My band, we played in Chicago with a bunch of witnesses. That was like a party. And we met a bunch of other bands there. And there was a whole old music scene in Chicago of witnesses. And then in Madison, Wisconsin, I got connected to some people um, who found there's a website of witness under of witness music, witness artists. And they didn't say that. They were just like, it's called Nuclear Gopher. NuclearGopher.com was the website. And they had, were always putting on a new album and there's always a new concert and they would announce it publicly and the public could come and witnesses could come. It's just like, Oh, cool. There's like a whole scene. And I kind of was like, I kind of want to go check that out. And also I had an opportunity to go work in Minneapolis. I went there and I started meeting those artists and I started going to the music shows and there's like a music festival with just witnesses called October Ridge. And I went to that and um, I became friends with a bunch of these witness artists, but I was sort of like, burned out like deeply burned out of like giving it such a hard go and having it be like faltering and faltering and faltering and hitting so many roadblocks and um pressures that were just so frustrating and i was just like i'm just gonna enjoy it and i started playing in like a cover band with some of those guys and i was like i just don't care and i sold all my equipment and i got a nice career job into like film and electronics which is an interesting fusion in the 90s early <laughs> 2000s that became a big part of my life like I, I do electronics design for engineering work and i'm in cinema but i like i spent like three years of my life totally dedicated to electronics repair for home cinemas and now i do i make movies and i work on electronics um new electronics so it's kind of like that was like the inception of like my future yeah um, so at that point did you decide to fully leave the faith and is that when the shunning happened i know you wanted to touch on the effects of shunning once you do officially leave yeah um that's a good point um, I guess we're, we're quite a ways into this. So the, the big moves that happened later were that a lot of the people in that music scene, um, there was a special bond when you speak music and understand music and make music. Like that's beyond just what the church teaches and your, your similarities and, and your, what you think is going to happen in the afterlife. And a lot of those, and I shared that. And I think I just brought that ethos with me, like open mindedness, free, free speech, like no judgment. And there's a lot of that going on in that community there too. And we had some pretty strong bonds. We ended up partying a lot together. And what I didn't know, and I learned actually making this movie, uh, Witness Underground, was that one of the people at the heart of the scene had just left their religion just when I got there or had been kicked out or whatever. Um, so you had this whole, like this old drama and then people started like getting out. And some of those people that were getting out of the religion were my friends. And we were all like trading like Dawkins and Sam Harris, like the new atheist books and like reading them and then talking about them. And then like I started something where um, after our book study, we started the revelation book again for the third time at that point. And so we would go back to my house after church and like drink and then use the Bible and be like, well, this is what they said in this scripture, but there's this other scripture that says this. We'd like have an after church church session with our, like our close friends. And then we, I created like a rage room that I actually had. I didn't talk about this at the studio, but like I had this rule where like you could take whatever you were drinking and you had to like wind up and then scream as loud as you can and then throw it at the wall <laughs> and keep screaming until it, all the broken pieces shattered and hit the ground. And I would make everyone at the parties and at our house do it after talking about like the Bible. That's therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> 
super therapeutic and I didn't even know what it was, but uh, yeah. So that was happening. Fast forward, I ended up going to Ecuador to kind of see about like being a, a missionary, but I really just wanted an adventure. And then it was like the witnesses abroad were like, it's like cultural imperialism and they were like in a spiritual battle. They call it spiritual battle with evangelicals there. Like, and they were having different standards for people. And it was just like a whole nother world. But I learned to surf with witnesses, like infiltrated, like the witness surfers. And I learned to surf there. That was interesting ride. And then I eventually left. And I guess you probably want to know the exit strategy and then the aftermath. But the, the exit was in my movie. The reason why I love working with these people is that their exits were so similar and parallel to mine with similar backgrounds of music. And um, Ryan's story in Witness Underground is really, really parallel to mine, um, even though we didn't ever meet each other. Basically, I wanted to do research and they don't really let you do research. You're not allowed to study things. For a long time, the internet was banned. And then social media, Facebook was banned. And using certain aspects of the internet was banned or unacceptable. Um, people would watch you and then self-police and turn you into the elders for like having a Facebook account. And now that their whole, their whole religion is on the internet and they have a, they have a, their, their name is a URL, like their entire faith, jw.org is like their website. Yeah. Which is so, such a change. Like I was told I was reading apostate literature when I mentioned that the Jehovah's Witnesses had a website to people that were in the religion back in like 2000. They had a website and people were like, no, they don't. They would never. Oh, wow. And now it's like, of course. Right now they're televangelists and they were like, Jehovah's would never do that. We don't even know who the leaders are. Now they're like celebrities. Yeah. Anyway, I decided to give myself the freedom to, to look up something I always wondered about and had doubts about, which is like the biblical flood and the Jehovah's Witness timeline for that flood. Uh-huh. They have, so I, I went on the internet, did a Google search and I was like, I'm going to prove to myself that the Jehovah's Witnesses are correct uh-huh. by finding evidence to support it. <laughs> I'm, d- I'm laughing because I did the same thing, so <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> that's not research. That's um, going in with your biases yeah. and trying to prove that you're right is not confirmation the right bias. way to do it. Yeah. But that's what I did. Confirmation bias. Thank you. A lot of ex-witnesses say this. They're like, yeah, I did like one Google search. And then like 30 minutes later, I realized that the whole thing was a lie. Uh-huh. It's like, why is that the common story? <laughs> but it was definitely true for me. I was like, um, proof that the global flood happened at this biblical timeline 4,500 years ago or ish. And there's like no evidence at all. But what is presented as evidence is by young earth creationists who think the earth is 6,000 years old and that the biblical flood did happen at that time. And they don't understand anything at all about archaeology or history or geology. And they put on like white lab coats to represent archaeology, which that's like the doctor clothing. (laughs) You're going to try to fake it. At least have the right costume on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, (laughs) this is so embarrassing. Oh, my God. None of this is true. There's no, there's not a single bit of evidence to say anything at all related to this timeline. It's all lies. Whoa. And I was like, how, how many more videos and like articles can I read? Like, I can't believe there's no evidence. And like, I, I was just like, unbelievable. It was just unbelievable to me that I had like lived another eight years in this religion. I was 27 when I finally left properly. And I had like gone abroad and represented this religion in another group, you know, another country. I felt so disgusted with myself at that. And then I I did go back to church that week. And um, I was in a Spanish congregation at the time. And one guy was giving one like elder in training was giving a talk about basically the evils of, of being gay. And I was just like, this like chills it up my spine. And I was like, 
oh my god and i looked around and i was like everyone's like just nodding along I'm like yeah i'm turning that scripture yeah gays are bad god's gonna kill them and i was like oh my god you know these people are in support of this terrible homophobic hate speech uh-huh. i'm in a cult oh my god i'm in a cult oh how did i not see that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i just like i just like got up and i walked out and i never went back and it was like this huge, huge relief. Yes. Oh, same thing happened to me. Same thing. It's like once the goggles come off, and I talk about it a lot, once that vision is clear, you can't not see it. So that same thing happened to me. I went back to church just because I had just moved to California. I didn't know anybody. I was like, oh, I'll go to church and make friends. And then I sat in a lesson and I was fuming. I was like, how did I not hear this before? It just seemed so obvious and I couldn't not hear yeah. it. I was like, I'm never going back. This is crazy. Yeah. And a lot of people, they have this moment where they're shocked and they're like, how do I do this now? How do I go out into the rest of the world and live this life with nothing? And for me, I feel like I'd been deconverting and deprogramming and like, uh, what's the word? Deconstructing. Deconstructing everything for like, since a teenager, a little bit at a time. And like those things we're having after church with the drinking and the rage glass shattering was just like little elements of that, like coming out. Um, where I was being open and more and more open about it on different topics throughout my life. And, um, for me, it was like this huge breath of fresh air. And I was, I was dating someone at the time, got out of the kingdom hall and I was like in my suit. And I was like, that's the name of their church, the kingdom hall. And I got out and I was like, Hey, to the girlfriend, I'm not going to name her. Yeah. We don't, we're not on great terms. <laughs> I was like, Hey, girlfriend, um, we need to talk. I have something I want to tell you. Can you come for a walk and like now? And she agreed and we went to this spot in Colorado and um, I told her I loved her for the first time and I dropped the hugest bomb ever on like a lifelong, like fully dedicated Jehovah's Witness woman who's, who's very intelligent, but like also very sheltered from this faith group and the isolation of it. But um, she accepted my position and I mean, that was like an all or nothing kind of like risk. Right. And then her and I, um, so she, she spent like the next couple of months, like secretly like doing her own research and I gave her the respect and time to do that. But I was like, I'll you know, tell you anything, but I don't want to like, I want you to guide your, you know, you need to know what you th- your thing is. Like I had my like Google search, you need to find your Google search, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever that one thing is. Um, and she did her own research. And then we like decided to sell everything and hit the road and have like a, a physical journey with the idea was like, well, let's just go over land to Argentina from Southern Mexico. So we bought a one-way ticket, sold everything, got a one-way ticket. And just like hit the back, we just backpacker life wow. as we like deconverted. We had like a, we had like 12 books, like the atheist way. We were reading books that were like about understanding meaning, like Frankel and, um, from the concentration camp survivor. Uh, and then let's see what else we read. We read books on evolution, like how it works, like how does nature work? Like stuff that we were denied access to and. Um, just like we just sit next to like we'd like have like a rope swing into like a lagoon in guatemala and we're like page turning like oh my god did you know that there was like this many like species of like elephants Uh that like all happen in different layers of the earth until today's modern elephant and it's like so obvious that the connection is there and like there's so many millions of proofs by millions and millions of scientists over over a period of time longer than the age of our entire religious back like the religion existed like <laughs> darwin's been around longer than that yeah like how do we how do we not get any of this information it's so obnoxious and then so we, it was amazing to have like a physical journey as we took our spiritual journey yeah. out to a deconversion journey 
that was six months we did that. Wow, that sounds amazing. And it sounds um, optimal. And I wish everyone could have that opportunity because we talk about how deconstruction is really, really difficult and you have to be in a place to be able to physically do it. Some people don't have the time to spend hours researching and some people don't have the emotional capacity because they may be already filled to the brim with other life things and they just can't take on one more thing. So that's another thing that we always tell people is don't look at those who are in these groups and say, you idiot, why don't you just figure it out? Why don't you just pick up a book? Because it's never that simple. And sometimes it means your entire world literally crashing down on you. And especially in Jehovah's Witnesses case, you lose your family, you lose your community. And it's a very real tangible thing. It's not just deciding that the church you go to isn't the right church. It's so much more complicated and nuanced than that. So it's amazing that you are able to Take a pause on your life and just pick yourself up out of the bubble and literally move yourself away. Get yourself out of that environment, be in a new headspace, be in a new physical location, and just have the opportunity to talk through all of these things. Yeah, and to do that with someone was huge. Like to have another human being there who like wanted to do it was amazing. I don't, most people don't get that special experience. But also, I recommend that to a lot of people. Like, if you give one piece of advice to someone who's going through something like this at any stage, it's like move yourself to a new location because there's a lot of things that remind you of it. There's a lot of pressures from the local people that you know or that know you. Um, there's a lot of reminders that can trigger something or like bring you back into an old headspace. If you're in a fully fresh environment, that can really help accelerate the path to yes. healing, processing trauma moving forward. Yeah. Let's fast forward then to the reaction of your family members when you did this. Great question. Yeah. So my family weren't really all that good at the religion as I've described, but so there was a couple of years where like they would hang out with me and her and then eventually her and I broke up and then they would still see me, but it was like, there was tense and they would like delete me on Facebook digitally, but then they would re-add me suddenly out of the blue and like there would be conversation and there would be like nothing for six months, but I was, I'd already been living away from my entire family for like eight years at that point. Um, so it wasn't like it was, it was strange because it was like digital shunning. Mm -hmm. I, we only talked like once a year at that point. So like that might not have been clear from that sort of talking about a 20 year period in like, uh, you know, a few minutes, uh, 30 minutes. Eventually after like two ish, three years, they put just, a, they shut the door. And they didn't even make it that clear to me that that was going to happen. They were just like, all of a sudden, like, doo -doo -doo -doo, you've been, you no longer are friends or whatever. And, or like, you're, I don't know how it was shown in Facebook back at the time, but it was like obvious to me that we were no longer connected to my brothers, my sisters, my parents on the internet. And they wouldn't respond to my emails. They wouldn't respond to my phone calls. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's the, the full punishment, the full weight of punishment. And then I started getting like responses like, Oh, I heard what you did. You just wanted to have sex. I'm like what? Like sex was never a part of me leaving this religion. Um, walking away from it. I don't believe it. Yeah. I, I left for evolution. Mm -hmm. I left because I wanted to be able to learn things and I was denied education and I was pursuing that and, um, I, ideological issues. Why is, why am I getting all this backlash from people who I barely even remember or like I used to have a friendship with, but I haven't talked to in ages or like writing out to me some like hates, hate messages. Um, and then it was like, this is a cutoff. And I was like kind of furious about it, but I was like, okay, this is a dark, this is the whole religion thing, which is like a part of my past. I don't want to talk to anyone about. 
And I just like tried to forget about it and tried to push it away. And then I moved to, I went to college, um, and then, um, for engineering. And then after that, I went to, um, Asia for five years and I just was like, that seemed like a, a break. And I, I tried to, another Star Wars analogy. I call it my Dagobah experience where like Yoda lives on the swamp planet after the Jedis are being hunted by the empire. And he's just like out there for decades or whatever <laughs> until Luke goes out there. Um, so I was like, I'm gonna, I need a Dagobah. So I went to Vietnam. It's like on the other side of the planet and I uh, got a camera. And the idea was to just get back into my passion. And then as part of like, anyway, so I was just like away and I, I was building all the skills to make, to get good at documentary. Cause I always had a deep love for documentary and film. And I had made a couple like student things in high school and um, kept that passion. And then eventually I was like, I think I can tell this story. I don't know how I'll do it, but I, I met some people. I kept meeting. This is the crazy thing is I was trying to keep it a secret, but I, then I like, I dated an ex-witness and we never, both of us never talked about it until like a year after we'd broken up. Then she's like, my mom just died and I want to talk to you. How are you doing? And I was like, she's like, my parent, my grandma's a part of this whole crazy religion. And it was like this whole thing. And then I was like living with another person in Vietnam who's from England. And she was like, yeah, my mom's this like crazy religion. And like, oh, Jehovah's Witness is crazy. What? Oh my God. Like I've been partying with this person and we lived in together for <laughs> half a year. And like that just kept on happening. And I was like, okay, I'm trying to run away from this thing. And it's here. It's in my life. What is this thing? And these people are people I deeply respected. And I was like, maybe there's something here. So then I started the next person I met. I was like, okay, I give up. I'm, um, let's, do you mind if we like to interview your story? And like, I'd love to tell my story. So I did an interview. And that was like a rough one, but we got some great bits out of it. And I did another one. And then another one I was like, I love this. And I crowdfunded to do that series, kept on interviewing one person and showing their modern life after that crazy thing. Kind of like your show's model, basically like, what's your life in it? What is the exit out? And then what is life after? Yeah. And life after was like, you, what cool thing have you done now that you're untethered? Um, and then at some point I was like, oh, this is like, this is really cool. And we got money now. I want to, I want to interview people that I know in this music connection. I, I spent my whole time in Vietnam working on music and I just made a music documentary there. And it was like, a, I brought back my passion for music and I started playing again. And all my friends are musicians again. And I was like, oh, like that thing like helped me. And like, it was really valuable. But all these ex witnesses that I'm still connected to loosely, like they're still doing music and they're still making albums. Like, I wonder if they want to do this. And I got back in touch with them. I had been in touch. We like got more in touch. I was like, Hey, do you guys, would you be down to be interviewed? on this topic and they were like yeah that'd be cool and i was like i want you to do one more thing i want you to play the old songs live as part of this thing we'll do it'll be like the way to show that like music is still a big part of your life even though it's like i would love obviously love to like have you play a modern day concert of your modern music but also let's do that plus like this old stuff and we'll make the connection to the past and the present and we were going to do an episode and then we got all these amazing interviews and all this amazing footage and then i met this person who had done all this archival video and film and um, it was just like a lot. It was like, holy crap, like we can make, this could be a feature film. I've always wanted to have a feature film and like do the whole film festival thing. Like we could tell this deep, heavy topic about shunning, which is like my big passion. I want to like get that out. Cause like, that's why I started the interview series. Like I want to talk about this thing, lean into it and like have my voice in the world and talk about this thing that's deeply affecting me. Like right now I'm 15 years into the shunning 13 of like a hundred percent off, but like 15 of the drama. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and we did it and it was a lot heavier and more emotional and traumatic than I expected. And I was think I was going for it for tra trauma healing reasons, um, which isn't exactly the right reason to make a movie, but 
it really did help. And nav- I navigated that and got therapy. And then now we have a movie that's like about using music and art to process trauma and like heal after something heavy like that. Yeah. Like Shannon. In what ways do you think your expression with music has evolved or changed because you no longer have these Jehovah's Witnesses um, kind of restrictions? I would comment on the people in the movie because they were that was like their coping mechanism and outlet. And when they left the religion, wow, did they make some powerful art? It's like almost like a whole, I mean, they're not the only ones that are doing it, but like almost like a genre, like a post-faith, post-cult mm-hmm. um, processing music, post-cult music, post-cult genre. And like, um, like Cindy Alvindal, one of the songs she, we highlight in the movie is called, um, a prayer to no one. And it's a beautiful piano song with like vocals are very present. And she's talking about the realization that this whole time she's been praying to a deity that doesn't exist for her anymore. Like that realization was like shocking to her that she realized like that God isn't real, that the Jehovah's Witnesses are selling, um, for her. And that was powerful. And then like Ryan has like three albums. He calls his like the, his Jehovah's Witness exit experience. Um, he, he highlights those albums in the film. Um, there's an amazing song that he wrote recently for the movie because we had to remove a song because that person died before we got the rights. So he wrote a song that's even more powerful than the one we had in there about like, I would never leave you. Like saying that to like those he loves. I mean, I can interpret that, but it fits the movie. Yeah. Ultimately, I think my motivation was shunning. It deeply was shunning, like being shunned by family. Um, and then having that powerful music to work with to like convey that story and to convey the emotional weight of what each person's saying in the film. And then to like see their rise of them, um, finding their voice where they're unrestricted from what they can sing about and what they can do with music and them hitting the topic. So on, on, so being so on topic, um, with their music was amazing. Um, I, I'm so impressed. Like those have become the soundtrack of my life and I'm excited to like now make, we made it available right now in our Kickstarter, but also it'll always be available to help them cope with their own, uh, situation. If they're in some kind of shunning or post faith situation. Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. And I want to talk more about the Kickstarter, of course, but before we do, I want to wrap up with your story, which is how is the shunning affecting you now? You said you've been out for 15 years and we talked off camera about how even though you leave a cult, if you still have family in it, you never really leave it because things are constantly coming up. So how are you doing with everything today? I had like a unbaptism ceremony I did a little over a year ago. It was kind of impromptu. I've been thinking about it for years. Like, how do you unbaptize? Uh-huh. Like, I've never heard anyone doing that. So I want to invent it. And I went to Burning Man. Um, and there's a temple there, which I'd never heard of. And it's the most profound spiritual place, emotional place I've ever been to. And it's just like people expressing themselves in every way. I couldn't like enter it without crying. Mm. And I made like a, I wrote like a goodbye letter to everyone in my family mm. and burned it. And I feel like that was like a big letting go moment. But of course, like I'm emotional now, but that was really special. And um, after that, I felt a lot lighter, a lot lighter. But like, I mean, since the day I I put the interviews out on, on YouTube and then did the crowdfund to make that series, 
in 2018 and we're in 2023 now and it's been five years and uh like <laughs> i woke up this morning to a message because someone who a woman who married my brother um who like had left the religion and went back to it to marry my brother around that something i don't really know the story um she wrote me a message because like the news got to my family. I'm sharing it everywhere. So it's not like I don't want them to see it. I deeply want them to watch this movie because it's not about them and it's not an attack on their religion. Yeah. Uh, it's not an attack on people that are in that religion at all. In fact, everyone we show that's in that religion in the movie, we're very, very fair and like celebratory of the relationships that they had and their participation in that community. And we're, we're humanizing it. We're not trying to say that they're bad individuals, but the practice of shunning is um, evil. And it's almost like they are a hate group, but they create their own group to hate, which is people, anyone who leaves, like they don't really care about the world. Jesus will murder them, but it's the people who leave the religion who want to say something about how they're being treated with the emotional abuse of shunning. Um, they have a problem with that. They have a problem with them exposing anything negative about them. And so I woke up to a message from this person this morning, which was, I think you're creative and you're intelligent. And I accept that. But I, what I don't like is that you have made it your life's goal to create from scratch a hate group attacking the Jehovah's Witnesses, which is not at all what my, my ethos is, not at all what the film is. The film is about exposing emotional abuse for what it is. Yeah. And the real victims in my feeling, I, yeah, I'm suffering, but like, if you're in the religion, you're the one that's trapped and like the cognitive dissonance, I suffered it. We talked about it. Like, it's terrible to have to live with the doing things you don't want to because you're coerced by an authoritarian group. Even like most people probably wouldn't even in it, wouldn't even think of it that way. But like looking back on it, that's what I was experiencing. I didn't want to shun my family when they sinned, but like you have to, and that's, you get punished. And that was one of the motivations. Like you get punished on day one. Usually my family's a little bit slow, but you get punished on day one. So like I have absolutely nothing to lose. And the worst thing is like, I mean, I could read you the whole thing, but it's like a little bit probably too personal, but basically they're like the religion's the only place where you can find love and support. And you know, your family loves you 100% and they will always have your back. You'll always have your back. No matter what they would give you the shirt off of their back if you needed it. And you know that they love you. And it's like, how is love? Yeah. Like I haven't, I've now been away from my family for 20 years of my adult life, completely away. And for five of them, they would talk to me. And the last 15, they haven't at all. In fact, they have told me I'm not welcome in their lives at all. And they never want to hear from me again. I'm not welcome to come to any family gatherings, any weddings. If I do show up, they would seek, seek their security on me and call the cops. Like, Jeez. is that love? Is that the Jehovah's Witness love that they think that they represent? Like, that's pretty dark, pretty dark for your own family. I'm not doing anything against them. I've not called them out. I've not, I've not mentioned them in the movie. I'm not in the movie. They're not in the movie. Like, I'm not doing anything against them particularly. I'm not doing anything against actual Jehovah's Witnesses. Nothing. People are telling their stories. The religion is coercive and authoritarian and very, I tell people I grew up in North Korea or something like it, not to like diminish the experience of real North Koreans, but like something like that kind of intensity. Um, self-policing like honestly i think the letter she wrote to me today i mean it was like like seven 14 paragraphs something crazy and it was basically like 
you're doing this and you're doing this evil thing and you're doing this and you're creating a hate group and you're evil and you represent hate and you represent blah, 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 blah. Oh. All this like really, really dark stuff. And Jehovah's Witnesses represent love and light. And there's almost like, okay, obviously none of that's true. And she knows it. And she's doing that because the people that are in that group, it's like mostly like a family group. It's like all the extended family, including my in Jehovah's Witness parents and, and family and like all the non Jehovah's Witnesses or a lot of them. And I'm like, she's writing this because she's the only person who communicated with me in my family for the last 13 years. And, um, she's probably trying to save face with them by throwing me under the bus in front of them in this very public, you know, in that way, in a public way. And it's like really revelatory because none of it's true. She has no idea what I've made. Mm-hmm. I've explained what I've made and it has nothing to do with anything that she describes at all. And in all the marketing we've done for this whole thing, we're very, very even and careful about being fair and not doing any of the things that she mentioned. So I'm just like, who is that letter even for? Like it obviously <laughs> wasn't for me because it's filled with false nonsense, extreme ideas and the exact opposite of what's real in a lot of the language. And it's like, okay, like I didn't need that before my big cults of consciousness interview. (laughs) It had me really (laughs) shooken up. (laughs) Um, But here we are. Good fuel for the fire. (laughs) Right. Well, it it just kind of wraps everything up in a little bow to show that it's still going on. It's still affecting you. It's still affecting them. And it happens so frequently. Anytime you say anything that makes any group or religion look bad, they take it personal. It's attack on them. And we've talked about this. It's because your entire identity in that group is the group. And so when anyone says anything against the group, they're saying it against you personally. Exactly. It takes a lot to separate yourself from those groups. And we've gotten comments here before. It's the same exact thing. We, we just bring people on to tell their stories. Yes, I have my opinions and I am a little bit more vocal about how I feel about the Mormon church because of my own experiences. However, when someone comes on and, and says, this is what happened to me and I was shunned by my family or whatever it is, there's always going to be someone in the comments who is still a part of that group saying, this is not true at all. This is not the, the church that I belong to. And I'm like, that's so great that you had a different experience. But one experience does not negate the other. Just because you had a great one mm-hmm. doesn't mean this person who didn't is wrong. And just because she had a bad experience, it doesn't make your experience wrong either. And that's okay. It's okay to have different experiences. It's an enormous church. Everyone's going to have a different set of bishops or leaders or whoever, different family members, like you said, and di- varying degrees of how they're going to follow the religion. And so, of course, there's going to be a range and that's okay. But what we're trying to do is highlight the not so great ones. So people who are still involved and invested can take a step back and think, oh, is is this thing that I'm a part of all good? Or is it possible that there are some things that I need to take into consideration without jumping immediately to this as anti? You're anti-Mormon. I'm not anti-Mormon. I'm anti-abuse. I'm anti-manipulation. I'm anti-coercion. I'm anti-control. And that's very different than being anti-Mormon. Like, if you want to be Mormon and it brings you happiness and you're not hurting anybody, you're not shunning your your friends who leave you're not treating your gay friends differently if you are truly open arms and want to help people that's awesome but also know what you're giving your 10% of your income to 
know where that money's going, <laughs> knowing that it's not going to these humanitarian efforts, like 0.001% of that money is going to humanitarian efforts. The rest is going to building up this literally $100 billion stock fund. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. I just want everyone to have all of the information. And like you were saying, it's it's hard for them to really understand what you're doing because if they were to understand it, that would mean they would have to take a step back and think, wait, is he right? Are those experiences true? Is it possible to have a bad experience in the one true religion? And that would take right. a lot of self-reflection on their part. Absolutely. I couldn't have said most of that better. <laughs> like, I really appreciate it. Especially like the, I'm anti-abuse, I'm anti-control, I'm anti-manipulation. I, I feel very similarly about that. Like the religion for me, like I don't care what they write. I think they're manipulative and I think that they're hypocritical. And like the, similarly, they have a real estate empire. Most of their money goes into that. Like the, even the church I grew up going to, they sold it out from underneath the congregation and took the profits. Oh, wow. And then they're left without one. So like now I have to drive an hour to go to church rather than 20 minutes or 15 or whatever. Like it's in my hometown and they're like, oh yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, God's true religion. Like they can use that money elsewhere. And like, no, they're using the money to pay off um, child sex abuse cases exactly. in the 15 child rapists in Pennsylvania right now. Jeez. If you're like, you're donating to this group, what are they doing? with that money and do you support that and then and then also like shunning's abuse and you do it to control someone to get them to do something your way as a form of manipulation mm -hmm. and if you don't like it then you call them name you name call like this email that i got this morning was like name calling mudslinging absolutely filled with lies and the exact opposite of what's going on Complete misrepresentation of my character, the film I made, the e the whole point of it is to just expose shunning for what it is. Yeah. And show a path through it if you've suffered through it. And it's something I haven't seen before. A lot of films similarly like show shunning and then it's like, okay, now we just feel suffering. We've, we had the suffering and we feel pity. Like that sucks for them. End of film. But I want to show like there's a path forward and we get to see like people rise up and find their voice. And it's like an inspiring thing. Like you can have a great life on the outside message. Yeah. Um, I hope they watch this. I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Um, yeah. I hope they watch your film. And I want everyone who is watching now to watch your film. So how do they help support this? Because I know you were close to the launch date as far as um, your Kickstarter. Yeah. The, the final day of the Kickstarter is November 17th, midnight in the States, California time. Okay. Um, so we're, we're in the last few, we're in the last week. And so I really appreciate you having us on for that. Um, if you're hearing this during that time, please support it. And you can do that at witnessunderground.com. And that's a redirect to a Kickstarter. And that will, that same URL, witnessunderground.com will also be the place to find everything about the film and nuclear gopher and the music and the witness underground podcast as well, which is the extension of the movie that continues it into the modern day with active artists that, that are still going now, including a lot of the people in the movie and by like an extended global network of people and authors as well. Um, witness underground.com. And yeah, you can support, you can get the film for the first time, extras, uh, subs in multiple languages. Um, and all the music in from in the religion, all the music from after they left the religion. So like it's like 32 albums in total, including, um, four albums from people from the podcast who are big supporters of the project. And that's what, like the coolest things like 
it lives like it's an ongoing project and the people that are like like it and pay attention to it have been guests on it or like amplifying the message and we're trying to find our, our audience but like you need like a million views to have a successful film to like fund the next one and so like getting on a show like yours is great because it's like a very aligned audience and um, hopefully the people that are watching this if you if you're getting it you might be the only one in your network that has it so if you can share about the news of the film that can really help us get picked up by other streaming services so the whole point of the kickstarter we're using money to do a little bit of the last minute like final technical details like quality control on the movie and then um doing pr marketing so like having like an underground movement of people who are like spreading the message really helps because then the pr firm can like take that and push it out into get press and magazines and online magazines and other podcasts and channels get on some bigger bigger shows and i i consider this is the biggest show so far so really thank you for that (laughs) you're welcome yeah we do have a lot of jw people or xjw people in the comments so i'm hoping that a lot of people will resonate and right go support guys witnessunderground.com exactly thanks shalice and you can follow their social medias by the same handles we'll list everything in the description so it's all there easy to click on and before we go i need your linda listen your sassy statement as the viral video with the toddler goes, or you can do something inspirational. I wrote it backwards. Like, listen, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little bit more condescending. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Linda, listen. Shunning is emotional manipulation and abuse. Its purpose is to control someone and to make them do what you want them to do. If you're doing this to someone If you're doing this to someone because you have to, you're being manipulated. Look at who has trapped you. Ooh, that's powerful. And I forgot to mention your social media as well on Instagram. If you guys want to check out what Scott's doing, you can go to Scott Homan on Instagram and follow him and his story and his deconstruction and more about the film. Exactly. Any final thoughts before we go? We covered a lot. I think that was the biggest deep dive into my personal story ever. So thank you for bringing that out. You're There's welcome. There's a lot of the origin story that I didn't usually tell. Yeah, I'm really glad that you were able to come on and share. I know you definitely wanted to talk about the documentary. And I was like, yeah, but I want to talk about you first, Scott. I want to hear your story. <laughs> so I pulled it out of you, which was nice. And it was great to hear your origins before you built this awesome thing, which I totally support. We have a very similar mission, if not the same mission, to just tell people stories and allow them to shine through and allow people to feel more compassionate and and provide more understanding for those who have never been in a cult at all and see where these people are coming from. So I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really beautiful mission to kind of humanize the cult lived experience and also the former cult member experience because telling anyone that I used to be Jehovah's Witness instantly like is a new framework in their mind that I'm something different than them and that they should watch out as a red flag or expect less of me or something. Um, and I hate that, that there's like this, oh, you're something different. And so that's something that was really important to me to put in the beginning of the film is I want to humanize the lived experience. We get to do that by showing people the inside view through archival film and music. And it's so fun and vibrant. And so, and it is super humanizing. So by the time you get to know their, their leaving story, it's like, oh, I really care about this person now. Mm-hmm. I appreciate your channel and, and like, that's a big part of your mission. 
Yes, definitely. Normalize it and bring light to it. So I have to thank everyone who's watching because you're a huge part of the reason we've been able to be so successful and a reason that these people have been able to come on and tell their stories without an audience. We would just, you know, be doing this for nothing. <laughs> so if you would like to support the podcast even more, it would mean a lot if you could get some of our merch at cultsofconsciousness.com under the merch tab. We have lots of fun stuff. Actually, you would probably probably relate to this one, Scott. I have one that says apostates unite because I know ex-JWs are called apostates just oh, like yeah. Mormons. <laughs> um, so apostates unite. Yeah, we have our bestseller, which is I'm sorry for what I said when I was in a cult. And if you want to become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash cults to consciousness. Our newest patrons, Francis, Nicole, and Deborah, thank you so much for your support. It really means the world. And if you want to be up to date about our first C2C vacation together, we are going to link something in the description where you can add in your email address. We already know the location. It's a big secret. We're going to tell you guys very, very soon. But if you want to be the first to know about when it drops so you can save your spot, click on that link, enter your information, and if you like this video, I'll put two more down here that you may want to check out. And until next time, follow your highest excitement, be conscious, and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts2Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts2Consciousness at gmail.com.